You know, when I read through this, um, it's really simple to actually see what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us. And yet, we still have an uneasiness talking about it. When I look at the Apostle Paul's life, I can honestly say, I mean, you can just back up a little bit and you can see what was pressing on his mind. Verse 10 of chapter 4, we always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. You look at verse 11 of chapter 4. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Verse 12 says, so death works in us. All right. But we get uneasy talking about it. It, it, it just sort of makes us. Uh, and yet, you know what? Each of us is going to have to look at it. At some point, it's going to come right there and it's going to be eyeball to eyeball. And, and it, it may be a loved one's death. Uh, it may be, uh, as Judy was sharing, here's this young man who says it's done. It's, it's all done. We, we all have those certain doctor's visits of, uh-oh. Okay, because you're looking at something that you're sitting there saying, well, what does this mean? The Apostle Paul is very adamant about this. Why? He knew that at any given instant... His life could be taken. I mean, it could have been done by robbers. It could be done by Gentiles who had lost their idol business because of his teaching. It could be done by the Jews because they feel like he has become a blasphemer of God. And he knew that no matter where he was, at any given moment, his life could be gone. I mean, just his message was kind of stirring the pot. And yet, he never compromised us. He wants you and I, as he wanted the Corinthians, to know how to deal with death. And knowing that any second. And I found it fascinating if... You know, you can you can kind of lay it all out, but but what you'll see. Have you ever heard this statement? That person gave me a bad attitude. Right? No, the attitude is all yours. Okay? And and, and whatever you do, it's just yours. Okay? And out of your attitude will become your actions. Right? Yeah, you ever been around grouchy people? Okay, and they just they're just so pleasant. Okay, and you hang out with them and they all they do is complain. You ever been around them kind of people? You guys have been blessed. I've been around them. They're a hoot. They just make you anyway. Alright? Those are the people that God created duct tape for. Okay, it is. You can just cross the mouth. Peace, love, and tranquility, dude. One of the things that I've watched about the Apostle Paul, if you look at his actions, here's what he does. 
Where does the attitude, how does that come? And I, I think that we have a key here in verses 6 and 8. All right, and, and we need to look at this. All right, 6 and 8. In verse 6, therefore, always being of good courage. That's the New American Standard Translation. If you look, drop down to verse 8, what does it say? We are of good courage. I went back to the original language to find out what this verb is. What does it mean to be of good courage? Okay, is that like Rocky Balboa? What the heck is that? Let's be of good courage. Well, it's kind of funny, actually. It literally means in the original language to be cheerful. To have joy. There is a happiness because of the confidence. And and, and the whole word means that I am joyously content. So when you read it, it says, therefore, being always of cheerful contentment. Well, wait a minute, Paul, you got people wanting to assassinate you. Just be cheerfully content. I find that fascinating. I truly find that amazing to me because you think about it. How easily can you allow others to change your attitude? And once they do it, what happens to your actions? And yet you weren't going to, if you go look at the life of the apostle Paul, when did his actions change? Never, because his attitude was, I am cheerfully content. And you know what? I don't really care what you do. And (laughs) one of the things that I have learned in my life, as short as it's been, that drives other people nuts. And for me, I take great joy in it. Have you ever had people just try to make you mad? And they can't. And it just makes them matter. And you just, well, this is great. Why? Because I am joyfully content. Don't you find that fascinating? That was the Apostle Paul's attitude. That is how the Apostle Paul would face death. Look at him. Look at his life. He had a confidence. He was content in that confidence. He was joyful about it. He was cheerful about it. He was peaceful about it. And he was patient about it. You know what? It's when you step into that attitude, death becomes the preference over life. And and you know what? I've heard this before. Well, it's easy for you to be there, but because, you know, if it's just me dying, but what about the poor people that are, they'll learn. They'll learn. But, but these are the youngers and these are the olders and they got their whole life before them. You know what? They've got all of eternity before them. And, and we have to look at it from that perspective. Okay. Young people don't. 
Sorry. And I'm talking 30 down. Okay, for me, that's young people. No, I ain't that old. I'm just sitting there watching your wisdom. Okay? As we get older, and the bones are creaky, and the joints are hurting, and the back is up, and all this is going on, and the world's going to eat in a basket, and everything else, you know, at certain age, you're like, who wants this? Okay? But young people are like, I do. Okay, and then they'll realize it's like grabbing a hold of a handful of sand and keeping it. You ever tried that? You ever do it on a beach? Grab a handful of sand and keep it. Watch what happens. It gets away from you. How's come? Because you can't hold on tight enough to it. And if you watch people today, what are they chasing? The things of this world, and they're trying to hang on to them. And I'm talking about the evangelical community. I'm not talking about lost people. It is an amazing way to live your life with the attitude that says, I am joyfully, I am cheerfully, I am patiently, I am confidently content. And it doesn't matter what's going on. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul says, to live is Christ. And we all go, amen. Read the rest of it. To die is gain. And we don't like that part. Okay, you go ahead and die and gain. I'm going to sit over here and live to Christ. Okay? Paul understood that it was far better to depart. Paul could face death triumphantly. Faith. Now listen, I want you to think about this. Faith always has its greatest work to do. At the very end. You got that? Faith always has its greatest work to do at the very end. At the very end, you see what the individual put their stock in. The reality of faith is very clear in the face of death. Very clear. Okay, so if I look at those two verbs in verses 6 and 8, that tells me what Paul's attitude was. Okay, when I look at Paul's attitude, then I can look at the rest of the passage and it tells me why he has that attitude. Okay? Do you understand that death had no threat to Paul? You ever thought about that? It isn't a threat. Oh, death, where is your sting? I mean, don't you find that? That's even that word you're like, sting? Sting? You know, um, I had a, I grew up in southern Ohio. I had an, an uncanny ability to get stung by, we call them bumblebees. Some people call them yellow jackets. They're, they're, they look like they can't fly. They're about that big around, and they got wings about like that, and, and they're black and yellow. And it's like no matter where those little buggers were, they stung me. Okay, so I'm not allergic to bee stings, any kind of bee stings. Okay, because I am immune to it. 
Okay, and to say that death is like being stung by a bumblebee seems odd to me. Because I remember one time my thumb swelled up about the size of a hmm, plum. And <laughs> a little bugger. And then they just, don't worry, he met his maker. <laughs> I sent him on to bumblebee heaven. Um, I, 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 I hear that and you think death. And, and, and I remember in, in my life, um, I have, I've had an overabundance of experiencing it. Um, I've, I've had a lot of people very, very dear to me die. Um, some was prolonged agony. Some was what? Um, and, and, and you, you sort of at a time go, this, this isn't working out right. Um, and, and yet when I think about our brother Paul and I think about people wanting him dead, it becomes astonishing to me. One of the things I've learned and, and you have probably heard before, um, when you have someone who is dying, pay close attention to their last words. Okay, because at death, if it's not a sudden thing, they've had a time to reflect on life and the nuances of life. And it is really amazing if you look at a person ready to step in to death, they have a clarity of thinking that is astonishing. Okay, now we like to spiritualize it or memorialize it or idolize it or whatever you want to do with it. But if you really listen to what they're saying... It's real clear. The Apostle Paul, preparing to die, said this. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 6 and 7. And you have to think about, he's in the Mamatine prison, not knowing at what moment his execution. Now, he, he tells Timothy, make every effort to come to me. <laughs> you, you might want to hurry. Why? I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe too late by the time you get this letter. But he understood it. And yet you read those and he says, now listen, when you read, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. How do you steal that man's joy? How do you give him a bad attitude? And that's what brings us to this text here. Is that, you know what? He knew that at some point, it's going to be over. We already looked at it, that he understood that the next home is the best home in verse 1. He, he understood that the body he was in was a tent. And he was going to give up the tent for a building. That's his metaphor. Okay. He had this container for this creation. But he was going to get another container that is not of this creation. 
He knew that the next was the best. And you know what? The Apostle Paul also understood this. And I, and, and I fear for the church today, but the, because the church doesn't. And he knew and was tired of the weariness of the flesh. He was tired of fighting his own flesh. And you don't see that in the church today. Not only do you not see it in the church today, the church encourages the flesh. And I'm talking about the conservative ones. I'm not talking about uh, the doodahs. Remember what I gave you a week ago? That the flesh is the, quote, beachhead of iniquity. And Paul understood that. Paul says, I don't like this. Because, see, he says the next home is the best. Then here in verses 2 through 4, he says, but the next is only perfect. It is perfect. See, Paul wanted real life. Okay? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? You will in a second. We have our lives right now. I know Miss Kendall is preparing for college and doing all of that. Who wants to know this information? And you got all of that hassle that you got to go through. And if you haven't gotten there yet, <laughs> it's a blast. Okay? And you know, get, what is that thing that we have to do? FASTA. You got to get your FASTA pin number. Okay? And they give me these pin numbers. I got pin numbers for all kinds of things. I can't remember what they're for. And then you write them down. I'm like, well, whoever's going to rob me is going to have to figure out this code. There are a lot of things that we see in life. We want to be successful in life. We want to have a retirement in life. I want to have this many bells. I would like to have a handful of whistles. Right? And we're working on it. You know, oh, 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 our children. Oh, God bless our children. Look at little bugger rolled over. Oh, look, it crawled. Oh, look, it's walking. Oh, it's killing me. And then you go on to the next phase. What about grandchildren? Guess what? Uh Uh-huh. It rolled over. Uh Uh-huh. It stood up. Uh Uh-huh. Wait a minute. Seen this movie? Okay. The nice thing about grandchildren, I don't have to change the diaper. And it's funny. Do you not know how? That's right. I do not know how. Okay. It's what they call selective amnesia. I don't want to remember that. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Indeed, this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling, which is from heaven. He uses a metaphor there at the end of verse 4, that the mortal will be swallowed up by what? My life. Now, I've been struggling, and you guys pray for me, because I have a bad problem of dealing with <laughs> immortal and immor- immoral. <laughs> so if I use immoral, know that I'm speaking of immortal. <laughs> I want to be immoral! <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm not sure that's what Paul said. The mortal will be swallowed up. Okay, have you, when I read that, you, you just kind of, hmm, what does he mean? 
everything swallowed up by eternal life. You ever thought about that? What would be everything? Everything that is mortal. Okay, Paul was very uncomfortable with this tent. Paul was very uncomfortable with this body. He wanted to be free from the warring, the disabilities of an earthly life. He's tired of it. And then he mixes up his metaphors here. And I watched people, uh, uh, Sharon, in our Sunday school class, I was going through some really smart people on this, and all of them disagreed. And I was like, well, what is he saying here? And I decided, you know, I'm going to do with my standard translation. Keep it simple. These groans. It's the same that he uses in, in Romans 7. Why? He, the, all of creation groans for the manifestation of the sons of God. Romans 7, 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Now, wait a minute. He wasn't dead. He had a body. He's hanging out. He's doing the work of the Lord. But he considered it a body of death. It was corrupt. It was corrosive. And yet, you know, as I look at the Apostle Paul, he's amazing in the body of Christ even to this day. He did not fear death. But you know what? He feared life. What if I disqualify myself? The longer I live, the greater opportunity of disqualification. No, he's not going to lose his salvation. He will lose his usefulness. The evangelical body today is afraid of death. They're not weary. This corrupt world, he wanted to be delivered from it. He wanted to be away from this body. Now, look what he says here. I want to show you this. For indeed, in this we groan is the literal translation. Okay, he's still going to flow through the context. What's the context? I want out of the earthly tent, which is the house is torn down. Remember the word torn down? Dismantled, folded up. Okay, because I want this new body. Okay, this building that is from God, a, a container that has the ability to hang out in God's creation in his presence. Not in man's creation here on this planet. This is man hanging out. Look around you. This is what we do. All right, now look, now you got to watch this. All right. He begins verse 2 with, for indeed. Okay? If you're saved, you can say, indeed. Right. You got it. I understand it. Okay? Then look in verse 3. In as much. What's he saying? You have to understand this. Why? Because if you have, for indeed we groan longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Okay, now look at it. When he talks about being clothed with our dwelling from heaven, what is he talking about? A holy 
perfect body. That is what we want to be clothed in. All right. So in as much, he makes it clear. Let me clarify verse two. In as much as we having put it on will not be found naked. Now, I read some brilliant minds and <laughs> it just all went south in verse three. And I keep thinking, yeah, wait a minute. This doesn't seem that complicated. When I put on the resurrected body, what can I say? I'm not naked. Therefore, if I don't have the resurrected body, what does that say? Naked. Let me tell you something. In my short life, I praise God for clothes. Because the bulk of humanity is not that much fun to look at naked. I don't care what, you know, well, you're saying what? I'm just telling you. Okay. I've noticed that in humanity, gravity has the same effect, period. Okay, but one of the things that I've also noticed about being naked. All right. If you're naked, how vulnerable are you? And you kind of stand out in a crowd. Don't you? I remember going down to the Kentucky Derby one year, uh, the year secretariat one. Okay. And this idiot decides he's going to streak. Through the Kentucky Churchill Downs. And you're sitting there going, oh, please tell me he's stoned. <laughs> because if he's doing that straight, he's an idiot. And they chase him down by the big flagpole. And this guy tries to shimmy up this flagpole. <laughs> Which is all right as long as you don't have to shimmy back down. All right, when I read this verse 3, inasmuch having put it on, put what on? The resurrected body, guess what? Will not be found naked, vulnerable, exposed. I know, I, I, some great minds, I was reading this text and I kept thinking, I don't know how you're getting that out of that, but okay. When I put on the resurrection... I won't be naked. Being naked is a condition that you don't have with the resurrected body. As believers, we're not hoping for some spiritual life to come. But it is a life to come that is spiritual. Listen, at the moment of your salvation, you have a born-again spirit. Trust me, you do not have a born-again body. I see you. And there should be a longing in Christians to get the body that contain the new spirit. Let me give you an illustration. A couple of weeks ago, my daughter got married. And I 
I've been talking to her and Ivan. And I explained to him, the single most intimate thing that you can do as husband and wife is pray. But do you realize that the bulk of Christendom today believe that the two will become one when they have sex? And do you realize you're going to be hard-pressed to get a biblical precedence on that? The two will become one because of the Spirit. They both love and rejoice in the person of Jesus Christ. That's where one is. And there was why you'll have sex. It ain't sex that makes you one. And yet, what do they do? Well, you know, we got to consummate this. Did you take a vow before God? Yes, it's consummated. Well, but you got to have, no, you can't get that biblically. And yet we think, well, it's the sex that makes us one. Ain't got nothing to do with it. You're one in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, but there's coming a time when I will have a body that will be in the very image of Jesus Christ. And then I'll have a oneness with Jesus Christ, including the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh, man. This is extremely important to the Apostle Paul. It's extremely important to the Corinthians. It is extremely important in the New Testament because there's a battle that is going on today, but it started a long time ago. Okay, it it has uh, its foundation is in Roman mythology and the Greek philosophers of of the day. Um, The philosophers of the time of the writing of the Corinthian letters had a thing that they used to teach called dualism. Okay, dualism said that matter was evil, spirit was good. Okay, well, what's that mean? Well, it's. How many of you guys know Flip Wilson? Okay. Remember, he used to run around saying, the devil made me do it. Okay. Dualism is even better. Okay. I can do anything evil because of my matter. And there are no consequences. Okay. So it was, you know, I guess it sounds good to me. You know, you just cruise around and say, I did that because I'm not in the spirit realm yet. If you go look at it, the worship of Bacchus and what's uh, Artemis or Diana, Diana, uh, you go look at a lot of the deities of the Greeks. They had a thing that they really liked to do because it would make them more spiritual. And you know what it was? Get so jacked up that you could pass out and puke and weird stuff like that. But you were out of the vessel and the spirit would be hanging with the gods and that's what the basis of it was okay uh go read no 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 um i studied under a guy named timothy o'leary okay um he was one of the founding fathers of lysergic diphelamine acid uh you would know it as lsd um he actually spoke up at ohio state a couple of times in philosophy <laughs> yeah. So I never made it as a forest ranger. 
I'm in, dude. <laughs> when do we start? Why? Because you can check out. You know, if you can just get rid of this container, okay, you see it a lot in the mysticism, the Hindu mysticism, uh, where they call reaching clear. Okay, um, is is basically uh, nothing in life really matters anymore, and you're just hanging out with your brains and, and your spirit, and you and the deities are just going do 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 do. Okay, it's very popular even today, um, and you they look at it as the spiritual was the highest and noblest form of existence. And and the Greeks were really cool about it because they believed that a wicked deity had created matter and a good deity had created the spirit and the two got together and the wicked deity was sort of gotcha. Okay? And they believed that you needed to be free from the body. And that's why you see a, 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 an abundant use, for lack of a better term, of alcohol and drugs in the Greek culture. Um, a lot of historians will tell you that the Romans defeated the Greeks militarily, and it was the Greeks defeated the Romans morally. Um, this problem would have been alive and well and flourishing in the city of Corinth. Um, uh, and it's obvious that it was a problem because there's only one theological chapter in 1 Corinthians. That is 1 Corinthians 15. And there's an irony there because it is the longest chapter and it deals with what? The bodily resurrection. Because the Greek culture says you can't reach spiritual nobility as long as you have a fleshly container. And Paul says, I want the new container. I do want to be like Yoda and hang out when the force be with me. He says, I don't want a naked body. And you know, it's still a problem. Why? Paul is looking at it is that the tent needs to be dismantled. Okay? And when the tent is dismantled, you need to understand you don't end up as some floating spirit. Roman authors of the time of the lighting of the Corinthian letters made statements like this, quote, The body is a tomb. Humans should be ashamed that we even have a body. It is a shackle. A poor soul burdened with a corpse. We are higher beings born for higher things than to be shackled of a body that steals our true freedom. This was the writing of the day of the time of the... Corinthian letter. Paul wasn't looking for release of a container. He was looking for the next container. He was looking for perfect immortality. I said it right. <laughs> Listen, he, he's dealt with this a couple of different times. I showed you, well, we looked at it in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, you see it here, he 
objectively dealing with it. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 17, Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with some doctrinal problems. And so he begins there in chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, go through the whole text. Remind them of these things, solemnly charge you in the presence of God, not to wrangle about words which are useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place. Now, technically, the resurrection of a Christian spirit has taken place. But he says, if you stay there, you don't get the resurrected body. And if you don't have that, he says, that's only blasphemous. Because the resurrected spirit should have a longing for the resurrected body. So there's three texts that I just gave you um, that are dealing with the confusion over this real physical resurrection. See, to use Paul's analogy here, the philosophers longed for a naked soul. Well, if you got a naked soul, it is vulnerable. And it could be ugly. No. <laughs> All right. And Paul says, I don't want a naked soul. I want a soul that is veiled in the righteousness in the image of Jesus Christ. I want a container that is as resurrected as my spirit has been resurrected. And Paul was passionate to be like Christ. To have a body to be in the presence of God as a person. As an individual. Paul wanted the rapture. He wanted a transformed body. Jesus comes for his own. In the twinkling of an eye. To give them what? A new body. Okay, now, I, I want to give this text to you because there's, there's a whole bunch of them I could give you. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel. With the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That's that word we always talk about, rapture. Okay, we're getting that. The word rapture, okay, is a Latin word. Okay, and it's literally the word we get raped from. Okay, I like caught up. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, but it just doesn't. I'm going to write a book on the caught upness. It just, you can't sell it. Caught up together with them. Who is them? The them would be the dead in Christ who got their body first. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We'll always be with the Lord. 
Okay, everybody says, where's the rapture? It's right there. But if you're looking for the word rapture, it ain't there. And if you're really true to the text, you don't want that word. Okay. Another one that I think that sometimes we miss. I know we miss it because I think I taught on this book and I missed it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who is enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect. Do you understand what he's saying there? It ain't done yet. The spirits of righteousness, okay, our bodies are, Contain the spirits of righteousness. My body is not righteous. Okay. I have not yet been made perfect. Remember in um, Revelation 6, the martyrs that are under the altar. Okay. What are they wanting? Their bodies. Finish it up. I want perfection. And I, I, I struggle at times with the evangelical community because there's no longing for that. You know, it's like I've got my resurrected spirit. I'm fine. Let's go to the Bahamas. All right. And, and you sit there and you go, wait a minute. God has a plan. And it includes our individual, each of us individually. With a reborn spirit in a rebirthed body. A resurrected spirit in a resurrected container. And it will have your personality. It will have your attributes. It will have it the way God designed you. Except it doesn't have any flaws. None. That's awesome. And why aren't we excited about it? Well, I'm born again. I don't care. You still have an odor. I want the new body. It doesn't stink. And the Apostle Paul kept saying, I'm looking to this, preferably the rapture. If I can't make the rapture, then I will be absent from the body and present with the Lord in spirit until Thessalonians 4.14 the dead in Christ rise first they get their resurrected container and a twinkling of an eye I'll, if he comes now I get mine <coughs> Romans 8.23 says that we groan all of creation groans we should groan of this burden and I think about that because the, the word burden there means weighted down. And it has to do with, I don't have enough strength to move this thing. You ever, ever dealt with sin? Your own sin? We like to deal with everybody else's. You ever dealt with your own sin? You come before God, you're broken hearted. You're weeping maybe. You're crushed. You're just absolutely exhausted. Lord, I don't want to do this no more. I know it's a sin against you. Please forgive me. All right. And then 
four minutes later, bing, right back at it. Why? Oh, I just forgot. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you get the sad thing again. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And you do it all over again. And then all of a sudden he says, well, when you get tired of wrestling with you, you come talk to me and I'll help you. Oh, Terry, that sounds awful simple. All right. <laughs> Knock yourself out. And, and I try to get people to understand that it isn't a matter of you saying, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, good. I'm happy for you. I'll give you all one right now. We will walk from this place and never to speed again. God has put the governments over us and we are to submit to the authorities that have been placed over us. So we'll all walk out of here and we'll have no problem whatsoever ever speeding. See, I already have an excuse. My motorcycle speedometer's broke. (laughs) I didn't know how fast I was going. Vroom, vroom. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Why would we not be willing to say, you know what, I have this container that continues to cause me to sin against my God. Give me another one. Give me one that doesn't. Why? Because there's a burden and it weighs me down and I am not strong enough on my best day to lift that burden. We are not unclothed floating spirits. We are clothed individuals, persons. The fullness of all God has for us is in the resurrected bodies. Full, the perfect, glorified humanity. I, you know, I got to go back to the, our text because I love that phrase at the end of verse 4. Mortal shall be swallowed up by life. It's sort of like, let me summarize this thing. The mortal swallowed up by the fullness of eternal life. That's why you can say there is no weeping in heaven. Why? Because have you ever heard people try to tell you, well, they're standing up there and they've got, uh, you know, the people in heaven are looking down at and going, oh, my God, Uncle Bob. And oh, my God. It's impossible. Why? Because it would break their hearts in the presence of the Lord and it caused them to weep. And if there's no weeping there, they surely can't be seeing what we're doing. Believers are not to be satisfied with the redemption of just the soul. We should be longing for the redemption of the body and the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's given to us there in four. Indeed, we are in this tent. And we groan, burdened. Same thing he says in Romans 8. We're burdened. Why? It's a heavy weight. It wears me out. You know what? And there's some of us in this room who literally believe at any given moment, I can lift that weight. You know what? You might be able to. You won't hold it. Okay? I've done that. We used to do, you ever seen them things you exercise your hands with? It looked like a big coil spring. Okay? When I was doing uh, rock climbing, we used to take those, and when I was working, you'd walk around with it. And you, the guys that we were that I worked with would climb, and 
they'd be moving it back and forth, back and forth, and just keep moving it. And it was always the great honors that I worked this thing, and then the spring would break, and you're like, da-da-da, I fatigued the spring. You know what I found that was amazing about those things? It was great. I mean, it was a forearm workout, dude. I mean, uh, I can remember when I was about late 20s, I had far- forearms that looked like Popeye. Uh, but anyway... It was a lot harder to take a quarter and squeeze it and then hold that quarter and just hold it. And I kept thinking, well, that's kind of strange. But I mean, I could squeeze that sucker all day long. But if you take a quarter and stick it in between those two handles where they come together and then just hold it, it would just absolutely ruin your day on how quick that quarter would fall out from between those two handles. You couldn't hold the tension on it. I see a lot of people in the church today who, yes, I can overcome this. But they can't maintain it. They can't hold it. And that is because of the frailty of our bodies. That should be the single greatest thing that says, I really want the resurrection. We should not be satisfied with just the redemption of our souls. First John, when he appears, we shall be like him, see him as he is. First Corinthians 13, when the perfect has come, what's the perfect the resurrected body, then you will know as you are known. And that still freaks me out. I've, that one there, you're like, who? Or what? <laughs> I don't know what that means. He spoke the stars into existence. And I'll know how he did it. Here's <laughs> a scary thought, huh? <laughs> we'll leave Terry over in the corner. We should have a hope for the resurrection. We should have... A hope for a glorified body, the body, this container of this eternal spirit that God has graced us with. We will be contained. The Greek philosophers are wrong. The Buddhists and the Hindus are wrong. All the philosophies that are out there are wrong. Paul's longing was for a holy, perfect, immortal body to take over his holy, perfect, immortal spirit. That is the fullness of God's plan. That is that little baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Death no longer has a sting. No longer has a fear. Death is no longer a threat because I will be absent from the body and I'm going to get a new one (laughs) that knows how to dance. (laughs) Had a guy ask me that one time, can Baptists dance? Some can, some can't. Please understand, the next home is the best, but also understand that the next is only perfect. And there's times that we get tied up into what's going on around us and we keep forgetting what's in front of us. Paul had an attitude 
be courageous. Be cheerful and content. And then out of that is the actions that you see. Father, to your glory and praise we come. Thank you, Lord, for our brother Paul. Uh, the amazing things that you did give unto him that he has given unto us. Father, I thank you for your spirit and your people. The resurrected spirit, a spirit that is alive. Yet, Father, I pray that there be a longing for the container of a resurrected body to put the resurrected spirit in. Let that be our focus. Father, I thank you for this Christmas season. I thank you for the amazing things that you do on a regular basis. Father, those things that we know and are aware of, Father, and those things that we don't know, and you still are in control. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these precious people. And Father, may your glory be radiated even more from each and every one of us until that day our faith becomes sight. To your glory and praise. Amen.